0: You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode.
1: you're listening to hillbilly horror stories and make sure you guys come see us in Lexington at Scarefest Rupp at the end of September <music>
0: Welcome everybody to episode 56 of Hillbilly Horror Stories.
1: Hey everybody, hope you guys are enjoying your weekend, your long weekend.
0: I'm Jerry and this is Tracy. It is? Yeah.
1: Oh, thanks for reminding me.
0: (laughs) Trust me, I guarantee there are some days where I do need to remind
1: you. I know, it's been a crazy long, busy weekend for sure already.
0: We got a whole bunch of good stuff to get to tonight, so we're just going to jump right into it. Uh, first of all, thanks to the military and civil servants, no matter where you are in the world. Thank you so much for what you do.
1: Thank you, and God bless you guys.
0: And we didn't get to this last week because we recorded the show actually a little bit early, uh, but I'm not going to uh, go without saying it at the very beginning of this show. Many prayers, positive thoughts, everything we we can send out to uh, you guys in Texas, specifically Houston. You guys have been hit hard. Uh, you guys are resilient, and you're going to end up coming through this smelling like a rose because everything's bigger in Texas, including your hearts.
1: That's exactly right. Texas is a tough state, and, you know, we encourage anybody to send supplies, donate, anything you can do to help. I really, I mean, I know I'm just one person. I really wish I could be down there and helping um, people out down there. It's just very heartbreaking, but you guys are just going to fight through this, and, you know, we are all behind you.
0: Yep, absolutely. And if anybody wants to donate to the Red Cross, that will help them, uh, people out yes, so sure very will. much. And you know, we've got, we, we say this all the time. We've got a lot of listeners in, in Texas. We've got a lot of listeners in Houston. As a matter of fact, this past show that we just put out, which was hitting, you know, during the midst of, of uh, most of the trials and tribulations you guys are having, uh, you guys were the fifth most listened to city for Hillbilly oh, Horror Story. Goodness. So, uh, if we were able to help at any at all, uh to try to ease some of your minds. We were more than happy to do it. Oh God,
1: bless your all's heart.
0: Yeah. So we love you guys and and we're thinking about you. Yes, we are. All right. New Patreon supporters, Brittany Phillips, Sean Stacy, Jessica Walters, Tammy Croucher. Thank you so much for your support. Hope you enjoyed your latest listener stories episode.
1: Yeah, they were awesome.
0: Uh like you guys always tell us that you enjoy the extra stuff that we do. Uh, and that's, that's what Patreon's for. If you guys are unfamiliar and you're just listening, you can actually choose to, uh, donate some money to the show each month, either a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, or ten. And when you do that, you get extra episodes. Uh, right now there is currently seven extra episodes. Three of them, are, or I'm sorry, four of them are Listener Stories episodes where you call and talk to us and tell us your stories. So if you ever want to get on on some of that in the future, even if you're not a Patreon supporter, we still want your story. So oh, yeah, send us, absolutely. send us a message and we'll get you on a future episode. But we also have done three on the 15th of every month where you do a regular episode, just like you're going to be listening to tonight. We mix a little bit of True Crime, a little bit of Paranormal and uh, those come out on the 15th, so there's three of those up. So if you sign up for Patreon now, it doesn't cost you a penny yet. They charge you the first of every month, so it gives you a chance to see what you're getting. But, uh, you know, might as well sign up for free, give it a, a spin, and see what you think. All right, headphones winner. I know uh, we didn't get to mention this because we drew for this after we had recorded last uh, last week's show Payne Thompson won, and we've already sent his headphones out to him. Congratulations. Yeah, Payne.
1: congratulations. Woo-hoo. He was up in
0: the Cincinnati area, so cool. Let's jump into iTunes reviews real quick. We've got, uh, Melissa Sunshine 333, Future Hero, uh, Tooth. That's a unique one. Medium Matters. We, you heard her on the show last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chantel and, and, uh, Marie. Thank you guys for coming on and for the review. CD Speed, Lorimer Black. The real Britta P. That's pretty, uh, gangster. I don't know. Um, Josh 2481. Tiger Panzer 2000. Janet Rod. Tanky 8383. Cat Girl in Vermont. Uh, R. White Cell. Racer X. And LTL in the ATL.
1: Nice. Guys, thank you so much. It's such, Oh, it's just, we look so forward to the reviews and stuff like that, and we can't thank you guys enough for, you know, keeping it going.
0: Yep, and I thought what we would do, uh, we're going to mix stuff up every week. I thought I would start out this week with the creepy fact of the week.
1: Oh, cool.
0: So this is kind of unique, but there is an amoeba that eats brains that is found in fresh water. So like rivers, rivers, lakes, so it's not in the ocean. <clears throat> this thing can can kill a human in seven days, and there is no effective treatment.
1: Nothing they
0: can do. Yep. So remember that next time you jump in a lake or a river, you could have an amoeba eating your brain.
1: Man, that's crazy.
0: With nothing, no help of surviving. 98% <laughs> death rate if wow. you get this. Wow. That's kind of and that's
1: really weird, because it's like something you wouldn't even think about. Nope. I wouldn't think about that when I jump in a lake.
0: You will now. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's jump onto the stories, because what we're going to do this week, it's going to be um, a New Orleans-themed show, mm-hmm. which is why that uh, you heard some uh, House of uh, Rising Sun. That's a good New Orleans song. It is a great song. And it actually comes a little more into play, even though it wasn't called The Rising Sun, we are going to be doing the story of uh, Madame La LaLaurie and Madame. her mansion of death, basically. Oh, fun. And, you know, I figured that song, if it had just called it the La LaLaurie Mansion instead of Rising Sun, it would have been perfect. Yeah, so. yeah. Let's jump into this thing because... Uh, you
1: got any beads?
0: I have no beads at all.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. Uh, we got some cool stuff before the show's up to tell you about that's going to be going on in our future. So we will bring that up. As of right now, we are going to jump right into the story. Let's jump. All right. Delphine LaLaurie. She was born Marie Delphine McCarty. How pretty is that? hmm For such a horrible person. In 1780, uh, she was born in New Orleans. She was married three times. And her first two husbands died. Wonder. Why? Why? <laughs> Actually, she didn't have anything to do with the the two husbands that oh, died. Oh, no way. Yeah, well, one of them was like a Spanish um, mm-hmm. He head of a military. Yeah. And they decided that they wanted him to go and uh, become, you know, uh, take a position in the military. And then during the course of all that, he was killed. Oh. So it wasn't really her fault. And then the other guy, I can't remember his exact situation, but he, he died of, of something, too, yeah. at a very early age. So. All right, so she married a physician by the name of Leonard Lewis LaLaurie. Leonard Lewis LaLaurie. Yeah,
1: how
0: cool is that? Well it's actually it's actually Leonard Lewis Nicholas LaLaurie. So I left part of his name out because, you know. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to just eat up time on the podcast. So (laughs) but she married him on June twenty fifth of eighteen twenty five. Now in eighteen thirty one, she bought some property at eleven forty Royal Street in New Orleans. Now that would eventually be where they built their mansion. Mm-hmm. They did that in 1832. Two story mansion with an attached slave quarters.
1: Slave quarters? Yeah. So okay.
0: remember, this is a time where most people had slaves, especially in the South. So that yeah. would have been, you know, just like adding a garage on today. Right, right. So she lived there with, with her husband and her two daughters from a previous marriage. She had, Four daughters, I believe, but there was only Mm -hmm. two of them living with her at the time. They were very well respected in the socialite community of New Orleans. I mean, they had all these huge parties. that Everything was lavish. And Mm -hmm. uh, when the guests were there, they really catered to the guests. So they really got everything they wanted and really did Mm -hmm. a big, you know, uh, performance, more or less, when the people were there.
1: Because they were Richie.
0: Right. Now, to a certain point there start to be some grumblings amongst the friends and neighbors and the people in New Orleans about possible mistreatment of her slaves.
1: Okay.
0: Partly because neighbors and friends would notice that she changed uh, slaves very often. Like, you know, the stable boy today, three days later, it'd be a different stable boy. Mm-hmm. And typically from these times, if you were the stable boy, you were the stable boy. Right. For long periods of time or whatever the case was, whatever your role uh, would have been. These people kept changing in and out, and they just thought that was kind of strange for how things happened. Right. But it's like, because keep in mind, slaves back in this time were looked at as property. They weren't really looked at as people. So it would be like, in a sense, if you went out and bought a car, four days later you got another car. No. What, ha- what happened to your old car? You just traded in because they didn't, yeah. they didn't do that back then. So when you bought a slave, it was a piece of property and it would be unusual for them to just disappear like and somebody else come on. It was said that her slaves looked haggard and wretched. That was a term that was actually used um, by some of the, the people in the area. Now the rumors went around so much that a local attorney actually made a trip to her house and reminded her that there were laws relevant to the upkeep of slaves. You got to remember, it's a different time, and nothing that went on back then as far as this goes was right and should have never happened. But what they did try to do was to make sure that, almost like a prison system, that the people, the slaves, were were treated humanely. So there were laws in place that if you had slaves, you were supposed to treat them with a certain level of dignity. Well, of course. Were, right. But I'm saying it's – but back then, they had to actually have the laws in place be, just to keep people from not doing that. You would think something that That's would be common ridiculous. sense.
1: That's so ridiculous. But – I want to go back in time and punch a bunch of people. Right. what I want to do.
0: So he came on to let them know that, hey, there's laws that state you've got yeah. to treat yeah, you your treat slaves like a certain that. level. You, they can't just run around, yeah. you know – but she was hateful. Um she would constantly chain her slaves up, which we'll get into more. Mm-hmm. She would beat her kids if if they got caught feeding the slaves. I mean it was she was just a, a unique woman. We're gonna get yeah, into Yeah,
1: I a, hate her already. We'll
0: get into a lot more of that. One of her neighbors was actually going upstairs one day to her place, mm-hmm. and she could look over into the courtyard and she saw um Madame uh, LaLaurie actually chasing one of her slaves. It was a 12-year-old little girl by the name of Leah. Now, the story goes that Leah was combing her hair, Uh combing uh, Madame LaLaurie's hair, and she hit a little bit of a snag. Uh And she was so outraged by it that she picked up her bullwhip and started chasing this little girl around the courtyard. She ran into the house, and then the woman just stood there and watched, and she could see him go all the way up and the little girl got all the way to the roof with madame Laurie La- 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 chasing her and the kid basically got chased right off the roof <gasps> and fell to her death. Oh. And uh, apparently because it would have been better to just do that than to face the punishment that oh she was gosh. getting ready to get. Aww. And she apparently according to this neighbor was buried into a, a shallow grave on the property. Uh, right there, underneath of a tree.
1: I have a feeling I'm going to cry in this story.
0: She was investigated, and she was found guilty of illegal cruelty, and she was forced to forfeit nine of her slaves. But her family went and bought most of them back and brought them right back to her.
1: Why would they allow them to do that? I mean, is the uh, people back there stupid?
0: Apparently. Oh she also got a fine but well she also keep in mind she knew all the big shots and in, in the city i mean that's she, she hobnobbed with everybody uh plus she also received a huge fine of the amount of approximately $300 so you you kill you're responsible for the death of a 12-year-old kid.
1: Yeah, she didn't even didn't, 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 you get a
0: You get a slap on the wrist. You yeah, get a, she didn't
1: do any time or, I mean, she no, didn't... No, nothing, uh, nothing, nothing, not even because... Okay, so the hobnob, snob, buttholes, or whatever she hung with, I mean, they don't treat their slaves like that, do they? No. Okay, so why would they do that?
0: Because, once again, slaves back then were more looked at as property than people. <laughs> so that brings us to April 10th, 1834. This is where everything comes to a head. Fire breaks out in the, in the LaLaurie mansion. Police, firefighters, uh, a group of bystanders that were just helping. They show up. They go inside. They found a 70 year old woman chained by her foot to the stove. (gasps) She later admitted that this was a suicide attempt because she knew what was going on in that house. And she did not want to get sent to the upper room where nobody seemed to ever come back.
1: The lady that was dumped to the stove? Lady, yeah. Oh she, my gosh. She
0: set the house on fire. Just to try to end it for everybody.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So the people responding to the fire, they tried to get the keys from the lorries because they were both there. And they were like, Hey, we need to get the keys so we can make sure there's nobody in the safe quarters. They refused. To give them the keys. And Mr. LaLaurie, the doctor, he basically said something to the point of people that come into other people's houses and butt into where their business isn't, you know, butt into other people's business should just go home and not worry about things.
1: Oh, as your house is burning yeah, down. Yeah, as
0: your house is burning down and you got slaves in a quarter.
1: What the hell is wrong with him?
0: So what they did was they go upstairs and, and, and the people that were you know, the fire marshals and, and the uh, the police and all that, they go up and they kick the door in. Once Because it was bolted from the outside and it was locked. And once they refused to get the keys, they kicked the door in. And being firefighters and stuff like that, they had, they know the smell of death, death we'll um, say, because they've experienced it. And they said that it was so horrible that some of them started throwing up on the spot.
1: Oh. <gasps> um. God, this is awful. This is a terrible story.
0: Now is when it really gets terrible. Oh, God. They found seven slaves, horribly mutilated. <gasps> they were hanging from their necks. Their limbs were stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. They found bodies under the floorboard. They found bodies that were cut up. One of the uh, the people said, language is powerless. In trying to give a proper conception of the horror that a scene like this must have inspired. Oh, my God. Some of the slaves actually had a medieval collar around their neck that was made with had metal spikes that went in different directions. And it was designed that if they moved their head, they hit on a spike in some way, form, basically designed to keep them from just not even moving. If they moved at all... It was some kind of a pain. It was some kind of a torture. So they had no choice but to just hang there and just take what was given to them.
1: What a sick-ass
0: bitch. There were dozens of naked slaves in this room. Some were strapped to makeshift operating tables. Some were chained to the wall. Some were in in cages that were made for pets that were so small their bodies barely fit into them. One woman, she had her stomach split open and her intestines were pulled out and wrapped around her like a belt. Another woman's mouth was sewn shut. And after later examining, she had had animal feces put into her mouth before they had sewn it shut. So I don't know what the point of that was. Just This was just a very sadistic, hateful woman. And it's just, I mean, there were people in there, that had their eyes couched out, their fingernails were pulled off, ears had been shredded. There was a man that had a hole drilled into his head with a stick actually protruding out of it, which was presumably to steer his brain.
1: Mm, well, we know that lady's burning in hell, so.
0: Most have been dead for a long time. Unfortunately, not all of them were dead. There were slaves who had bones broken and reset in weird ways. One of them, her bones had been broken and reset in a way to where she looked like a crab. There was another woman who had her arms amputated and then some circular things cut around where the amputation was to make her look like a human caterpillar. Mm. They found a few bodies out in the yard, buried which one of which was the 12-year-old girl. When word spread about the slaves, a mob came to the house, and they pretty much destroyed everything that they had. Pianos, uh, any type of luxuries that they had, furniture, they were just tossing them out the windows, crashing on the ground. Their whole goal was to just ruin anything that wasn't ruined by the fire. Yeah. The, the Lalories actually escaped during all this. Of course. Of course they did. And it was said that they went to uh, some attorneys. They signed um, some power of attorneys over to their son-in-laws. And that way they could still have money out of whatever they, was still left of property and all that stuff. Supposedly, after they signed the attorneys, they hopped on a boat. They made their way to France. Delphine actually died December 7th, 1849. In France, but somehow or another, she had her body actually snuck back to New Orleans and buried in Saint Louis, Louis Cemetery Number One. That is a disturbing woman.
1: Yeah, that is. A just, I cannot believe that they escaped. Well, so what happened to the husband?
0: I guess he escaped too. I mean, nobody really focused on him. It was so. More you for do, her. They,
1: oh my gosh! See, this is this. So, this is beyond anybody's imagination i feel
0: so let's talk about why there are several different theories on what happened here might happen theory one is that her and her husband because they were both physicians okay mm-hmm. the theory one was her and her husband were both doing medical experiments on slaves you know at this time there wasn't a whole lot known about the human bodies and this was during the time where people would actually go dig up freshly Mm -hmm. Um, freshly buried bodies just to be able to experiment to find out things. Doesn't make it right, but that's one theory on, once again, I'll keep going back to people didn't look at slaves. Not, I'm not going to say people, but some people Mm -hmm. looked at slaves as property, not people. I don't know how you can have a living, breathing person of any kind, way, shape, or form in front of you and not view them. As a person. That, they make, have, that
1: just makes me sick. They I have swear.
0: pain. They have anguish. They have tears. So that, that will just constantly confuse me. But that yeah. was one of the theories.
1: Cluster
0: hearts.
2: Mm.
0: Another is she just liked inflicting pain on people. She got a huge power trip from hurting and, and torturing people. I mean, that's, and that's very likely. I mean, just because of the fact that yeah. she just with the torture devices, those didn't really seem like experiments. You know, when you've got mm-hmm. devices yeah. designed to go around somebody's collar and, and that just seems like a dick move is yeah. what that seems mm-hmm. like. The third theory was almost like a cruel criminal investigation. Now, the reason I say that is, is right before this fire and, there, and all this was brought to light down the river from there, there was an uprising on a plantation where some slaves uh, kind of revolted and took over the plantation. Mm-hmm. And one of the people killed there was her mother.
1: Oh, uh, that Delphine's woman's mother? Yeah. Oh, so now they think she's just getting revenge. So on it's them.
0: possible she could be getting revenge or trying to see, cause, cause a lot of these slaves knew each other, talked yeah. to each other. She might have been trying to figure out who killed her mom and trying to get information from them. Kind of like you would see, you know, in military torture. Okay, well, a
1: 12 year old didn't do it. So what the hell?
0: No, understandable. No, and I'm not saying, I'm just saying here are yeah. all the theories behind what happened to some of them. She could have just been a bitch and still whipped slaves and stuff way too hard, but that wouldn't, didn't mean it was tied into the torture mm-hmm. part that they saw. Could have been two different things. Now, it's possible that it goes back to 1771. Her uncle actually died. He was killed by two slaves. And in order to get a confession out of the two slaves, they were tortured. They got the confession, and then they died a horrible death. So is it possible that she saw from her past, this is how slaves were treated? Mm-hmm. These two slaves were tortured. They got confessions. So, so it like could, she
1: didn't know any better. I'm
0: not going to say she didn't, but it could tie in to with, okay, this is what i seen them do. My uncle died. Now my mom died. Maybe we'll do the same thing, or maybe that's how it's done. These are all stretches by any shape well, of yeah. the imagination. There is one other thing that... This seems kind of odd to me, but we've done a show on Marie Laveau. Mm-hmm. The voodoo priestess, famous voodoo priestess. And the thing about Marie Laveau is she was actually a um, hairdresser also. She lived right up the road from Madame Lalore. There is a rumor that she used to go to Marie Laveau and get her hair done on occasion. Mm -hmm. And she was fascinated by the art of voodoo and that those two became very close. And it's very possible that she was learning some of the tricks of the trade of voodoo from Marie Laveau. And part of that black magic voodoo era kind of took over with her. And she in turn Started doing some experimenting of her own and mistreating slaves and, and all that. So who knows if any of that was true? We do know that, that she did have her hair done by Marie Laveau and they did actually know each other. Yeah. So who knows at that point? I
1: don't know. They're all sickos is all I know. And so, this has got me in a very mad, bad mood. This whole thing, this whole story.
0: So that is the basic story of Delphine LaLaurie. But, it doesn't end there. That's just a story of what happened to her. What we're going to talk about next is the mansion that she lived in. What's happened to it since. All right, so let's get on with this story. We're going to talk about the mansion now. So after the mob kind of ransacked this place, like we was telling you, there was someone who moved in for a very brief time, but basically this place was vacant for a few years. And, it, you know, with no remodeling going on and uh vagrants coming in, it just basically became a place of ruin. And it's falling apart. Many people would claim that they hear screams coming from the uh, balconies and, and coming from the inside of the house. Of course, up on the top mm-hmm. uh, was where the slave quarters was, the very last floor, more of the attic.
1: Oh, boy, if there's any place that would be doing that, that would be that house for sure.
0: Some people claimed that they could see the apparitions of slaves walking around either on the outside of the balconies or just along the, the grounds of the property. Now, in one of the things that I thought was kind of interesting to people said that they were saying that vagrants would actually go into the house to try to ha- find a place to sleep and would never return. Oh. So really? I don't know how true that is, but there were oh. sayings that said that. Now, there were some people that said that all these stories were made up just to keep. Uh, the blacks of New Orleans from coming on that side of the street and, and walking past it, that they were made up stories just to try to, cause a lot of the, uh, uh African Americans during that time in New Orleans were very spiritual and very mm-hmm. superstitious. And so some people say that the stories were just made up just to keep them away from the property. Oh, but yeah. who knows? In 1837, the house was sold to a man who only stayed for 12 weeks. He said that he heard groans and strange noises coming from the house he tried to run out the rooms but tenants would only stay for a couple of nights <laughs> <laughs> following the civil war it was made into an integrated high school for girls in the uh, the lower district
1: so i didn't mean to interrupt you so the whole house didn't burn down
0: no just no.
1: the parts of it and they parts just rebuilt parts of it it
0: would it just saw damage to the inside oh, cuz she inside? set the kitchen on fire so. okay sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no, you no you're okay so they start this school in the lower, and it was actually a segregated school. So you had black kids and white kids going to school mm-hmm. in the same, which for the, you know, this, this level of time, I mean, this was not something that was commonly done. Yeah. But, um, from my understanding, this lasted about a year and they came in there and, uh, I don't know who, but it was part of the, the government or something. They came in there and decided that they, the black students needed to be out of the school and then they separated it and then the place closed down. Sad, sad. In 1882, an English teacher turned it into a music and dance school. A local paper posted a story saying that he was having some kind of inappropriate uh, relationships with some of the students. And this was right before, like, they were getting ready to have this big, huge event. It's like the day before. And the students and the guests then shunned the place, and it closed down the very next day.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: So it was abandoned until the 1890s. Uh during that time, immigration was kind of booming in the, the New Orleans area. And it was a lot of Italians were moving to New Orleans from then. Mm-hmm. So landlords were, they were snatching up property left and right, trying to turn them into cheap housing. Even at the cheap rates, nobody would stay there very long. So it was, it was bought, remodeled, turned into like a nice little apartment complex. Nobody would stay.
1: So did these people that bought this place, did they realize what it was before? Oh, or yeah, they, everybody, everybody just knew?
0: Everybody from then till now knows exactly what that house
1: okay. is.
0: Okay. So th- there was all kinds of strange occurrences that happened during this little period of time. In one instance, a man said he got attacked by a naked man in chains. Mm. And let's remember that her slaves they yeah. found were all naked. Yeah. Other people say that they saw animals being butchered in the house. Oh, my gosh. Children claim that they were chased by a phantom with a whip. No. And then there were strange figures dressed in shrouds. Uh, one terrified mom said she woke up one day and, and she saw an elegant dressed woman mm-hmm. bent over her baby in its crib. And it scared the death out of her. Of course, they had the, the, the standard groans and cries and the screams during the middle of the night. And that seemed to be the thing is, is after midnight, there would be screams and stuff from the, you know, the, um, slaves. Yeah. And, and I'm just it.
1: shocked that anybody would even, knowing the story would even think to stay at a place like that.
0: They also said that they saw some of the people that were like the first responders on the scene.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: would see them still going like door to door, knocking knocking on a door, like doing what they oh. did during that time. Wow. Because all these occurrences were this place, you know, like you said, who would want to stay there? Right. And because all this stuff happened, and it eventually was deserted again. It became a furniture store. This is kind of unique. The owner said that he had vandals. That were sneaking into the store because he would find a very smelly brown liquid substance all over a lot of the furniture. So he decided that he was going to stake out the place, right? Mm -hmm. So he stayed outside with a shotgun at the only entrance. And nobody came. Nobody went. But when he still went inside, there was still the brown liquid
1: oh, all over everything.
0: No vandals were ever found. Now, after the furniture store, it became a saloon. They were trying to take advantage of the building's history and they named it the Haunted Saloon. The owners would keep track of all the strange experiences the patrons had. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of their, uh, their little niche. It was successful for a while, but eventually it just, you know, kind of became abandoned again. In the 1970s, it was turned into luxury apartments, so that's kind of where it stood for a while. Mm-hmm. In 1997, though, there was a new owner of these apartments. He had a local artist by the name of Ricardo Pustiano. He wanted him to paint a picture of Delphine Lalori that he wanted to hang inside the, you know, the building.
1: What the heck, man?
0: Once the painting was hung in the building, rumors of darkness just kind of attached itself to the painting, and it started to make its way around town, and especially around the apartment complex. They say that the haunt, the picture itself, was haunted by Madame Lalaurie, that she was always um, a big fan of art. She had, and during her day. When she was there at the mansion, she would have had all kinds of super nice art and people would have came from all over to look at it.
1: Well, so did the guy think if they painted that big portrait of her, it would bring people in because they would be fascinated to see what she looked like? I have no or?
0: idea why. Because maybe, maybe, that to
1: me is just really stupid. M- maybe
0: he was moved to do it. I'm not sure. But reports of the picture <laughs> was moving on its own. Mm. They said several witnesses had seen it shake so violently that it would fall off the wall. Residents claim that they felt depression Mm
3: -hmm. anytime
0: they got around it. Sometimes they would feel cold touches. They would hear voices, experience a strong smell of smoke from uh, the damage from, you know, the building. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, yeah.
0: One woman claims that the painting actually whispered to her, and then she started hearing footsteps following her around the apartment building.
1: (laughs) Oh, God. That's crazy.
0: She claims that the spirit of Delphine Lori was actually tormenting her. Now, obviously, the feeling of this painting was so dark that after a period of time, they actually returned it to the artist. The funny thing about that is the artist, he actually kind of became infatuated mm-hmm. with this. And he actually painted several other pictures of Madame LaLaurie just on his own and he also said that this was the only one he knew to be haunted because nobody had ever had any claims about any of the other ones Of course, this is the only one that actually was in her house.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, if I guess if it's not in that house, they probably wouldn't get anything out of it.
0: But the original is actually with a private collector now, and the owner refuses to disclose its location, and he won't discuss any activity that might or might not have happened with it. Well,
1: I'd say keep that damn thing as far away. I don't want to know where it is. (laughs) Do you want to know where it is? No,
0: I absolutely do not want to know where it is.
1: Thank you for not telling us. We don't want to know.
0: But that's the actual story of Madame LaLaurie and her mansion god well, that's a terrible story and it's owned by actually it's owned by some private uh people now they don't want anybody coming in they don't give any tours they don't want people to see it i think it's Why well, burn it
1: to the ground
0: why well, well, it's still a beautiful property just because the bad stuff happened there
1: well it's not a beautiful property anymore all the stuff that terrible stuff they shouldn't even it shouldn't even be on the face of the earth anymore
0: and obviously for those of you who watch american horror show when you watch the coven Kathy Bates' character was actually based on Madame LaLaurie. Because she actually, that was her name in the movie. That's who she was playing. But um, that was was where all this came from. That came from a true life incident. So not everything Mm -hmm. you see on fictional TV is fiction.
1: Yeah. Well, no thank you. (laughs) That biatch can keep burning.
0: Now, we have a couple of cool things. I've got another story we're going to tell you. It's a a New Orleans-based story. But first... We actually have uh, an interview. One of our good friends, Karen Wickham. She hosts a show called Stat, and I wanted to go ahead and uh, do a little quick interview with her so she can tell you about her show. It's fantastic. It's moving up the iTunes charts. She actually is uh, ten thousand downloads already, and she's only like seven episodes in. Well,
1: good for her. And
0: you know, it took us for any comparison. It took us like twenty episodes to hit ten thousand yeah, downloads. Did. So she's burning it up, and I'm excited to have her on here. Let's give a listen to Karen. All right, we are joined by Karen Wickham and Karen hosts one of uh, my new favorite podcasts out by the name of Stat, and uh, Karen and I go back a little ways, but before she even started the podcast, we talked about uh, what she would need to get set up, and we... uh kind of would talk back and forth and have some good conversations of, about the podcasting industry. Lo and behold, she got into it and uh, she's got some really cool stories to tell. So I'm glad she did get into it. But uh, Karen, you've got uh, a background of doing some paranormal investigating as well as being a nurse. So you've got a unique take on some of these stories that uh, I haven't heard out of any podcasters.
3: Yeah. um I guess I've always had an interest or a curiosity in the paranormal. I had experiences since I was a young child. And then you take that with working in the hospital and being just naturally around places where there's death and dying, the two together sort of work hand in hand. So, you know, I really got more into starting to do paranormal investigating because of some of the experiences I was having in hospitals and it just one fed off the other.
0: Well, let me ask you this, because uh, now that you started your own show, it it's a uh, fascinating aspect that you look at different areas of like early days and uh, psychiatry and psychology and, and some doctors and give people what your input is of what you want your show to be and what you're trying to make it be down the road.
3: Wow. Um. Really, I, I want to talk about a few things. First of all, it sort of started off in a way that I didn't realize it was going to go. I, I sort of jumped into more of a mental health aspect of things um, and really got into talking about uh, lobotomy and terrible treatments that were happening in the psychiatric in medicine in those days and, and continuing forward. That being said, I want to do things that are a little bit more serious and give information, but I also want to do things that are a little bit more lighter, a little bit more fun talking about some of the crazy things that take place in the ER and just wild and crazy treatments that go on around the world and, and maybe some cr- true crime as well.
0: What was the, uh, the doctor uh, with the lobotomies? What was his name?
3: Dr. Walter Freeman. <laughs> you, I don't call him doctor. I usually just say Walter Freeman. <laughs>
0: I could definitely I understand that. What's that? I said, I could definitely understand that. Why don't you talk a little bit about him? Because uh, I know you did several episodes. The first uh, two, three, four episodes were based on him and his life. And give the people out there who who haven't heard your show a little synopsis uh, of this gentleman and, and uh, why you don't like him. Well,
3: when I first decided to, what my first few episodes were going to be, I really didn't think that I would be doing a four-part series on Walter Freeman. The fact is, he is such a horrible human being that I I just kept finding one thing after another. I kept researching and more came up. Personally, I think this guy can go down in history as one of America's first uh, serial killers. Because the thing that he did to people, he would torture them. He, so many people died at his hand. He was just a terrible, terrible man. He came up with this um, procedure, the lobotomy, but he was doing it for fame and fortune. And he was always trying to cut corners, do things cheaper. And he didn't care about people at all. He was just looking out for himself.
0: Yeah, he was extremely cocky. I, I know oh. he drove around in a vehicle that he jokingly called the lobotomy bill.
3: Oh, yeah, exactly. He actually would uh, combine his family vacations with what he called head excursions. And his head excursions were to go around in his lobotomobile, he'd drop his kids off somewhere for a couple days, and he'd go from hospital to hospital performing surgeries en masse. He called himself the Henry Ford of lobotomy.
0: Yeah, because I, I think I read somewhere at one point in time, and I might have even heard on your show, but I know he was charging like $100 a lobotomy. So he would just go places and just do masses of them at a time, make his money, and just head out to the next stop.
3: That, that's pretty much it. Like, um, And he would invite anybody to come in and, and check them out. And the thing he would do is he would do it with such a flourish, um, almost like a sideshow circus act. And so many – in fact, some nurses actually quit nursing afterwards because they just couldn't believe things were going in this direction. But – he would, with the ice pick lobotomy or transorbital lobotomy, he put in two ice pick-like instruments. And, and you're supposed to just do one at a time, if you're going to do it at all. But he would do two at a time, and he would pose for the camera, and he would say all these horrible things and have photographers in. Um, anybody who wanted to see it, he'd just invite them in and screw the, uh, you know, the confidentiality of the patient and their, you know, in the respect they deserved
0: so for those of you listening to this and you think that's interesting that's basically a couple of minutes on this on this gentleman you know karen's got what four shows did you say on his whole life and and she breaks down actual uh patients and and um the, the whole scenario with their family and it's it's really fascinating it's amazing how much information you were able to dig up on this guy yeah i
3: just um once i got into it i just I just kept reading and researching. I wanted to make sure I had like the most accurate information possible. And um, he showed signs of being a little sociopath from a very young age. And he just got worse and worse and worse until the end of his career.
0: Let me ask you this, Karen, as far as your show goes, what has been the biggest challenge so far that you've come across from what you thought it was going to be doing a show and what it, what it has it become, because I know you you definitely had some success right out of the gate that a lot of shows don't have. Any surprises along the way, anything more difficult than you thought it would be?
3: Well, first of all, I do want to thank you because I don't know where I would have started unless you sort of gave me uh, some base, some ground to work from. That really made my life so much easier because I wouldn't have known where to begin. But I think, The biggest thing for me has been, well, part of it is technical because I've learned this stuff from scratch. So just understanding how to do all the the technical parts of it. I actually love editing, which sounds crazy, but to me it's like magic. You can just like (laughs) take in and put out stuff, but I think mostly it's the storytelling. You know, I'm I'm not a writer, I'm not a a creative person, so it's really learning how to, to take a story and all the information and give it as best as you can.
0: What about your past experiences how has has your past experiences of being a nurse or being a paranormal investigator helped you with this project?
3: Well, I think just because I I, I have the basic um, knowledge, the nursing knowledge, so that when I delve into these things, I already kind of know what it's about, and it helps me fine tune. Um, it's just easier for me to to pick up and uh, the information that I'm giving. And, and one thing I have to be really aware of is I can't help but throw out all these like technical terms and. My son would always give me hacks saying, Mom, you can't just (laughs) say stuff like that. I guess all the experience that I've had working in the hospital has made it easy for me to decide on what types of cases to work on and helps fine-tune the direction I'm taking. Being a paranormal investigator as well as helped me, well, I guess I see things from a different perspective, having interest in both in the hospital because I've had some pretty interesting experience that I believe are paranormal. So between the two, they've sort of fallen into place together a bit.
0: Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of your paranormal experiences in the hospital. Uh, Do you find that some parts of the hospital are are more susceptible to paranormal activity and others like say the morgue or are the rooms because people die in the emergency rooms and stuff, are they all pretty much the same? Or do you think it's, there is a difference?
3: I definitely think there is a difference. I mean, I think some people would say or think, well, for sure, the morgue, you know, that's where it sounds the creepiest. But, you know, if you think about all the death and dying that, that takes place, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a really, it's a hotbed for paranormal activity. And this one particular hospital I worked in, it was the oldest part of the hospital. And, you know, I would feel in taking people down, just, it's usually a very, or well, at least where I worked, it was a very dark and tingy and quiet and echoey place and it would be me or one other person and you would feel a cool breeze you would feel an unsettling feeling and there's at least one time where i would see my breath and it you know i just knew something was around me just get that feeling of uh, different parts in the hospital where there is concentrated death and dying there was one particular room uh, in a hospital that i worked at where if someone were to pass we would have them stay in that room so family could visit a bit longer. And I actually had an experience in that room one night. We're always busy in the eMERGE. It's it's, it's always out of control. But you get one of those instances where it's not too bad. In fact, it feels kind of eerie to us. You can't make us happy. It's either busy, a little bit quiet, and then it freaks us out. But anyway, um, I had a couple minutes, 20 minutes or so, to have a lie down. In this room, I decided to to just rest my head for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So I went into the room, and uh, I was so tired. I just, I had my stethoscope and all my change and pens and scissors and stuff in my pocket. I lied down, and I felt the room go really cold. And this was not a, a chilly room. And there was just enough of a window so that you can see a bit while you're in the room. So the room went cool. I could see my breath a bit, and I felt a presence. And it wasn't scary, though it was startling. And I felt like someone had sat on the bed beside me. In fact, I saw a little, like, bum imprint on the bed. So I kind of jumped up quick and asked, who's there? What's going on? And well, I didn't get a response, but the, the feeling, the coolness, and all that sort of went away. Um, I packed up my myself pretty quick and went out to the nurse's station with like my eyes bulging out of my head. And uh, my co workers asked me what was going on and, and I told them what happened and they've had their own kind of experience back in that room and it kinda led to more conversations about all of our experiences. It was one of those things that you don't really talk about much, but then when the, it came up, we all had stories to tell about different things that had happened.
0: So, it's, did you have any other experiences, uh, like in the morgue area?
3: It's it's in the morgue for sure. I mean,
0: it almost seems like like what you were saying that the morgue almost seems like the least likely place because well, it's I like think
3: a lot of people it, think it's the least likely p- place, but it, it can be. um, it can be very active feeling down there. But I, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's often in the oldest part of the building as well. So the older the building, the more imprinting I feel, the more activity. But definitely the the hallways leading up to it and around it, this, the whole area, sometimes you just feel like you're being watched. Sometimes you hear steps. Elevator doors were open and close. There's one particular area in this one hospital I worked in where – we called it uh, like it was like the elevator ghost. Where this is going to sound crazy, but you would go to the elevator, and you know what floor you would go go want to go on, and the door would open for you. You'd step on it, and it would take you to that floor. And it was uncanny, you know. And if you're by yourself, you think, "Oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> is am I going crazy? What's happening?" But you know, so those sort of things started to happen regularly that you know you just sort of took it on, it was just, that's what happened in
0: that part of the hospital. So let's switch gears a little bit. You, uh, you've been a paranormal investigator. You're from Canada or at least you live in Canada. I don't know if you're from Canada, but you live in Canada. And I know the first time that we ever talked, it was because we did a story on a lighthouse up in Canada. And, uh, you said it was basically in your backyard and you were unaware of it. Um, what, what's the coolest place you've ever done an investigation at.
3: Well, there is this, um, there's a place up in Scugog. I live in Toronto and let's say about an hour East of Toronto, there is a a little town, you know, where they, they, they bring the, they make it like to a little village. They've brought in, uh, different houses and things like that. And it was settled on, um, old, uh, native burial ground. And, we did a really intense investigation there one night, and um, the experience was unbelievable. There was there was a, like a black mist that went on. There was uh, movement and walking throughout the room. I've got some pretty incredible pictures. You know, people say orbs. You know, they're not really anything, but in, in this case, it was uh, pretty evident what was going on, and I got quite a bit of... Um, edp and film work from it and it was pretty amazing uh the one place was an old schoolhouse that had burned down and unfortunately many children had died in that and they built up on the foundation and the it was a hotbed you we would play a certain song and we would have our cameras looking in there in the there would be orbs that would be moving to the to the beat of the music or to the sound of the music I don't know it's a song called Beautiful Dreamer it's an older song and it's kind of creepy but <laughs> yeah so that was that was pretty amazing
0: it's not really as creepy as the fact that you just said a school that burned down was a hotbed
3: <laughs> oh man I didn't <laughs> oh I'm so embarrassed oh I didn't even think about that sorry <laughs>
0: Yeah, if, anybody, if anybody knows about Freudian slips, it's you.
3: Yeah, and I just made a big one. I didn't even need it. <laughs> but yeah, that was a. And then there's also a hospital out there that um, was called. Uh, um, it, it was a, a very well known psychiatric hospital, and some pretty bad stuff went on. Sort of. It was very. It was during the times where Walter Freeman was in his heyday. And uh, that hospital was, was eventually torn down. And the activity that went down there uh, was absolutely crazy. Well, I shouldn't say that, but <laughs> <Once again. laughs> do it again, Jerry. But, yeah, uh, I, I did some investigation around there, and uh, the the EMF meters were just, and the EVPs, were, it was just unbelievable. And still, in that area, if you go there, it's an empty lot now, but there's still a lot that goes on. And the people in the neighborhood, they've had quite a few people move out in that neighborhood because of the activity.
0: Wow. That's uh, you definitely had your share of experiences and, and I think that's why it was really cool to bring you on and let you talk about them. Why don't you talk about how the people can get in contact with you and listen to your show?
3: Oh, okay. Well, my show stat shocking traumas and treatments, you, I have a Facebook discussion page that that's where you can find it as on Twitter. It's at stat underscore tales. i have a website that is stat tales, so s-t-a-t-t-a-l-e-s dot c-a and yeah that, those those are the places where you can find me
0: it's uh, your show's available on every platform so you can find it on basically itunes and google play and and all that. So if you got a podcast app, just put in stat and you'll be able to find it. And uh I think you'll enjoy the show. Like I said, you what you you just finished, what was your last episode? How many have you got now?
3: I have done seven episodes and I was actually editing one that I'm hoping to have out tomorrow. Um it sort of goes hand in hand with the Walter Freeman. I'm talking about a, a gentleman who was lobotomized at twelve years old.
0: Wow it's it's like i said it's uh, it's a fascinating once you guys start listening to this there's there's really nothing else like it out there it's not uh it's just it just touches on subjects that nobody talks about so i think uh i think you'll get a big kick out of it and once you download it like i said you only got seven episodes right now so it will be pretty easy to binge listen and catch up
3: thank you so much
0: karen thanks for coming on the show we greatly appreciate it you're always going to be a friend of the show and we're thank glad. you so much,
3: Sherry. It's it's and Tracy, it's uh, an honor to be on. I, I appreciate everything you've done for me. I think you really were a big part of me just doing this.
1: Well, thank you. We appreciate you so much.
0: Absolutely. And uh, anytime you've uh, got something you need to tell everybody and you want to come on the show, because I know you got a bunch of other cool stories. You've already been on one of our listeners' episodes. Uh, telling some stories. So anytime you want to share some more of your stories that uh, you're not going to use on your own show, feel free to give us a call. We'll put you back on.
3: Thank you so much.
0: All right, babe. We'll talk to you soon.
3: Okay. Have a good night. Bye.
0: She really does have a fun show. So you guys need to check her out and she's uh gaining in popularity. So I think she's going to be one of the next huge podcast out yeah, there when definitely. it's all said and done Good for her. Now we got a couple of events to tell you guys about. I'm super excited. First and foremost, this is just still getting some bugs worked out of it, but just so everybody knows who's not on our Facebook page. April 28th, Louisville, Kentucky, we're going to have an event. It's going to be a collaboration between Tracy and I, Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors, and Diane and Denise from History Goes Bump. What we're going to do is we're going to have, all of us are going to get together in Louisville, Kentucky. We're going to go to a little restaurant or a meeting room still working that part of it out but we're going to sit down and all do a live show for you guys and then we're going to turn around and have like a question and answer period a meet and greet we are going to leave from that venue and go to Waverly Hills Sanatorium (laughs) where we will be given a private tour for us And 55 of you lucky guys. Yeah. So as it gets closer, we will tell you about this, but this is going to be really affordable, especially if you live in the area. This is going to be like 40 bucks is going to get you the tour and the private show. So this is going to be a really cool thing. We're excited about it. Uh, we, we love the fact of tournament teaming up with, uh, uh, Pleasing Terrors and, you know, Diane and, and our friends from History Goes Bump. This is going to be a really fun night and we're excited about it.
1: Um, yeah, I'm excited. (laughs) I'm kind of scared, too. So we'll see how that goes.
0: All right. And then, well, not really then because it's before that. Yeah. But it's getting really close. So we want to try to remember to remind everybody because I've not done a very good job of doing that thus far. We are going to be at Scarefest with Robert England and a host of a thousand other people. Okay. It's not really a thousand. I've exaggerated. Just try to inflate sales, but we're going to be there. Robert England, a bunch of famous people, Kane Holder, you name them from the horror movies. They're going to be there. It's going to be a really fun event. That's in Lexington, Kentucky, September 29th, 30th, and October 1st. It's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the end of this month. You guys need to definitely come check us out there, because it is going to be a lot of fun.
1: Who's calling?
0: It's at Bo from Hillbilly Horror Show. What does he want? Um, he thinks that somehow or another, because the name of our shows are very similar, that somehow or another, we've got to be related.
1: Oh, dang. That, okay.
0: Let me see what he wants. Hey, Bo, what's going on?
2: Hey, what do you know, Jay Bo? Hey, um... Uh, got to be one of my brother cousins. I'm convinced. <laughs>
0: Well, it's kind of bad timing, Bo. We're, we're kind of in the middle of recording this episode on uh, Madame uh, LaLaurie in New Orleans.
2: Oh, man. Oh, I love New Orleans, man. I love New Orleans. You know, I'll tell you right now, I took seats down there one time. So we walked down that street of Bourbon. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And I'm, I mean, and I'm telling you, you uh, you know, normal that boy, he's, he's, a, he's a stuttering and a mumbling about 100 miles an hour. And then I explained to him what the XXX on all them signs down there meant. And boy, you ain't never seen a grown man shut up and drool so damn fast in your life. And, uh, you know, but of course I can't take him in them places, you know, because I mean, it's bad enough trying to keep him out of the bathroom when Lulu's taking a shower. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I told him, I told him, you know, hey, why don't you go on down the street there? And stare at some horses' asses. And I was talking about the funny mirrors down there outside of one of them shops. Man, that boy run up a tab with them horse and carriage people. I swear, I don't think we was going to get out that place with our skin. I mean, he must have run it up for $150.
0: He ran a $150 I, tab you. on horses?
2: Yeah, man, because I thought he was staring at horses' ass, and he thought I meant to go ride the carriages, and he just kept going around and around, and it was like $25 a pop before I finally got him off there. <laughs> well, that'll teach him. I'm telling you, man, that boy, I, he just ain't got the damn cent. Well, what do you want? So, y- y'all, are you. Are y'all are y'all going
0: to New Orleans? No, no, we're just so, talking about New New Orleans. We we may up, oh, we may oh, end up I was, going. I, I
2: was gonna tell you, I was gonna tell you down there at the Hustler Club, I still owe Cherry twenty dollars. I was gonna give that to you get to her.
0: Well, we can see what's going on. We may be going down there next August. You got any tips for uh, fun stuff to do down there besides Cherry?
2: Well, well, take 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 a lot of extra beer money because I'm telling you right now it ain't cheap down there. I'm not kidding you. I mean. You know, what I done did is I, I stopped I stop before I come over the Big Fridge there and I buy like a couple of cases. And then I just I just roll like a suitcase. Because don't nobody care if you roll in a suitcase. Now you roll in a cooler, they're gonna have a problem. But I roll in a suitcase, but I pack that sucker full of like, you know, like trash bags full of ice and keep all the beer in there. And then when I take one of the beers out, people think I just bought it, and they think I'm trying to find my hotel, man. You'd be amazed how nice some people are. They'll come up there and they'll what hotel are you staying at? And I'll be like, hell, I don't know. I can't remember what it's called. And they say, well, there's a bunch of them down through here. You just keep walking around, and you'll spot it. And that way, I can drink beer all night, and it don't cost me but like a third of what they charge.
0: So when you go down there, do you take Lulu usually?
2: Man, I'm telling you, that's the only way we can make money in New Orleans. I mean, take her down there, and we just go from one club to the next, one club to the next. I mean, we pay for the whole trip, you know. I mean, now granted, she wasn't too particularly happy about staying popless most of the time, but, you know, I told her, I said, this is family. you got to do for your family. I mean, but uh then she got down there and started arguing with this fella because, uh, I mean, he he was quite rude. He kept saying something about his gumbo was better. And, and I don't know, Seats thought I had a stick of Wrigley's or something, but, you know, I, I, I tried to explain to him gumbo's like a stew. It doesn't have nothing to do with me, but he didn't, you know, he don't get it, but she, he he was telling her that his seafood gumbo was better than her possum gumbo, and I'm telling you right now, that damn near spiking water's where we're from. And that, boy, that girl... Lord, she almost got us kicked out the whole state.
0: My question is, how do you make money down there with topless? Because people just throw beads, right? Have you seen Lulu? I have. I have. I just didn't know how you were able to turn beads into money.
2: Well, no. I mean, she do not do nothing for free. Let me just go ahead and tell you. I mean, you know, but uh, yeah, all them, all them. All them clubs with the XXX out there, you know, we just kind of moved her from one to the next. People didn't know no different. They thought she was just one of the dancers. So, you know, she'd slip back there, give them a quick dance, get the money and say, come on, let's go. We'd hustle on down to the next one. <laughs> it worked out great, I'm telling you. Well, Bo, I appreciate you calling. It, 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 it matter, you never know. I mean, you know, she. Throw them, throw them heels on as Hell, he'd probably make money. Somebody would be drunk enough to get a dance from him.
0: Well, if it's going to happen anywhere, it'd be right there in Mardi Gras town.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't do that Mardi Gras. Them people with the mask kind of weird me
0: out. Yeah, I don't mind the mask so much because, trust me, I, uh, there's been a couple of young ladies I've taken home. I wish they had a mask on the next morning when I woke up.
2: Oh, brother, I know exactly what you mean there. I mean, you know, just something about when you wake up, you're trying to come to and get your orientation and whatnot, and then a midget comes walking across the room, and you just wonder what in the hell happened.
0: <laughs> I think they prefer to be called something other than midgets these days.
2: Oh, oh, that's right. These dwarves, <laughs> thanks to that, that, that throne show, these dwarves now.
0: <laughs> Bo, I appreciate you calling, man. I got to get back to recording, though.
2: Oh, I, y'all have fun now. And don't don't forget, man, now don't be eating them raw oysters down there. I'm telling you right now, good Lord. Woo! Man, just too much hot sauce. Lord, have mercy about burning the hotel room down. Y'all have a good one now.
0: <laughs> Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Sorry about that, guys. Let's get back to the stories we were going to tell you before we were so rudely interrupted.
1: <laughs> Seriously.
0: <laughs> okay, so this next story I thought was kind of cool. It's one I hadn't heard before, and I ran across it by accident. But I wanted to find another story that was dealing with, obviously, um, New Orleans, because I thought it would be cool if we're going to go ahead and just do a theme for the whole night, and we hadn't done that really with New Orleans. So let's go ahead and tell you about the Delta Queen. The Delta Queen is a riverboat. Now it's supposedly haunted, but I have to tell you some backstory before we can really tell you about the Delta Queen and how it became haunted. So let's go a little bit back in time, from eighteen eleven to the nineteen hundred. Steamboats were—they were—they were the ships that powered pretty much industry throughout the the South. They—they uh, they developed growth. They developed everything that that industry needed because the rivers were how everything got from point A to point B. So they, you know, did pretty good. But about the end of the 19th century, they pretty much all vanished because the railroads came, came in. in and took so on. there really wasn't no point in having the boats when you got railroads that were more efficient. So Robert Greene, though, he was uh more or less determined that he wasn't going to let it die. He started a company named Delta Queen Steamboat Company. And he married a young lady from Indiana by the name of Mary Becker. In 1895, Mary became one of the very few women that actually was licensed to Captain the Steamboat. Cool. Mr. Green died in 1927, and he obviously left the company to Mary and their two children. Captain Chris, who was one of his children, he actually died at the age of
1: 43. Oh, that's so young. Why?
0: I don't know. Didn't Uh look that part up. I think his heart stopped. Really? Really? Tracy is flashing me.
1: Well, my boobs are sweating. Right there. Sweaty boobs.
0: I'm supposed to focus on a show when you're flashing me boobs. Sorry, I can't See, I knew as soon as we did a damn story on New Orleans. Oh. Give me the beads. (laughs) Give me the beads. (laughs)
1: Sorry, guys. It's just like really hot in here for some reason. No,
0: you would be sorry if it was video. We're okay with audio. Anyway, the other son, Captain Tom. You are so mean. I am not mean.
1: This was mean. I was
0: just... Okay, it was me.
1: Thank you. Okay, go ahead with your story.
0: Okay, so Captain Tom, who was the other son, he vowed that he wanted to build the greatest steamboat ever. The Delta Queen was then actually added to their list of, of boats, but it was not something they built. It was actually built in 1927, and it was part of the military. It was a dingy color gray. Oh,
1: that's interesting.
0: So they bought it. They did $750,000 worth of renovations to it. Uh-huh. And then they painted it as some cool-ass, you know, white and red, like you typically see steamboat colors. June 30th, 1948, the Delta Queen made its maiden voyage with Mary as the steamboat captain. Well,
1: how in the hell was she?
0: She wasn't that old. It was 1948. And, I mean, so she was, she'd oh. been a captain for about 50 years. She was in her 70s, I guess.
1: Oh. That seems,
0: uh, seems like she'd be way older than that. I guess I don't know. Yeah. So she goes ahead. And she's at the helm. She had a special room at the at the boat uh, down in the in the bottom cabin that she actually that was her home. Unfortunately, Mary died a year later. So Aww. after being a riverboat captain for fifty years, it was kind of fitting that yeah she would still be captain in a riverboat. Many people say though that she never left the boat. Not because there's a skeleton or nothing there. It's just because <laughs> oh. other things. In 1982, first mate Mike Williams was asleep in, in his bunk, and he was kind of all alone in the thing. It was uh, during a, a winter layover. Mm-hmm. So he's the only one in the boat just making sure, like playing caretaker. He said about 1.30 in the morning, he felt someone go Psst,
3: hmm.
0: into his ear. And he kind of dismissed it because, you know, he was sleeping. He thought yeah. he was dreaming. A few minutes later, he heard the same thing. Psst. And he could, said he could feel the, the hot air on his neck. Uh, his neck and everything. So he jumped up out of bed. And obviously, he's like, you know, I was in the middle of a sleep. Uh, you know, I don't know if I, you know, actually heard anything or not. He was scared. So he thought, well, maybe somebody's gotten in here. Yeah. So he decides he's going to go check it out
1: from the middle of the ocean.
0: Well, no, it's not floating. It's it's oh, tied up somewhere. Have you oh. ever seen the bell of the how It's like just docked yeah, when it's true. not being used. Anyway, so they go to the he goes to the bottom of the stairs and he hears a door slam. So it startled him obviously because you know yeah because he thinks that's it <laughs> right. And he went down the steps to the engine room and he could hear water gurgling. He claims. That when he got down there and took a took a look around, that there was this large intake pipe that would normally, uh, it would take water from the, the river uh-huh. and it would circulate it around uh, for the boiler when it was in operation. But it shouldn't be any real, real, no need to be using it right this second. But there was a huge hole in it that had rusted and water was pouring in to the point almost like a fire hose.
1: Oh gosh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so water was was pouring into the hull of the boat and he made a really quick repair on it, but he called his boss and and had somebody come out and they made a permanent repair. But he said that he is 100% convinced that had he not been awoken Awaken. by whatever this, well, I don't know if that's right or not.
1: So you're saying that I'm
0: saying it's awoken.
1: Okay. No, but you're <laughs> saying, he's saying that if he hadn't heard that,
0: <laughs> oh, I
1: can't do it. But anyway, if they hadn't woke him up, he would have drowned it, probably.
0: I don't know that he would have drowned it, but the, the boat would have definitely sank.
1: Well, did I miss something worse? His kids had. Why didn't they have the boat? Why weren't they taking over the boat?
0: Well, they may have. This guy, this is this is 30 years later from the time that she died to when this happened. Because that happened in like 1948, now it's like 1982. Okay. So, 35 years later, whatever yeah. the case is. We both know I'm not good with math on the air. Yeah. But yeah, that was his thought. But that wasn't his only occurrence of actually running into who he believes was Mrs. Green. Mm-hmm. On another occasion, Mike received a call from a young lady by the name of Myra Frujay. Mm-hmm. She had just started working on the ship. She was working in the purser's office. She calls him up and she said she got a call from an elderly lady in a cabin area. That she complained that she was cold and wasn't feeling well. She wanted to know if someone could come down and take a look at her. So she called Mike. Mike headed down there and he went to the, the room that she told him. He knocked on the door, but nobody answered. So he opened the door with his pass key. He found nobody in the room. And matter of fact, it wasn't even occupied. Oh wow. So he thought. Okay, I must have just went to the wrong cabin, yeah. and I want to make sure. So he went to the purser's office because he was close. And he found this Myra frujay, mm-hmm. in there, and she was visibly shaken. And she said, something funny's going on. And he said, well, why is that? And she said, I just had this strange feeling that somebody was watching me. And I turned and looked out the window, and there was this old lady just looking at me in the window. So... She was kind of scared and it was time for her to get off. So he was walking her to her room because she's got a room there mm-hmm. on the boat. As they walk past, they walk past a picture of Mrs. Green on the wall. And she says, that's her. And Mike said, that's who? And she said, that's the lady I saw. He said, that can't be the lady you saw because she's been dead for like 40 years. And she's like, no, I promise you that is who I saw. Now, the funny coincidence in all this i guess you could say is mike and myra eventually got married oh and he likes to tell people that they were actually re- introduced by mary green
1: oh now that's sweet yeah so i love stories like that
0: so here's some other occurrences on, on the ship mary richardson she was a musician she was staying there for a little bit she's now actually a historian for the boat she was so fascinated by what happened during her time on there. Uh-huh. But she was just on there as a musician. She saw Mary on several different occasions. They were, she had a room and she would like middle of the night, she would just read. Uh-huh. And she said she could swear somebody would just pass her like out of the corner of her eye. And this happened three nights in a row. So she went in and told the, the ship's cruise director what was going on. And he said, well, describe her to me. So she described her. So then he showed her a picture. And the lady was like, you know, Mary was like, that's who I saw. That's definitely who I saw. So she, but she described her perfectly. Yeah. Without seeing a picture of her oh, or knowing who she was. And she didn't know anything about this boat to know any history of it.
1: Wow. Good. That's so cool.
0: There was also another entertainer by the name of Phyllis Dale. Now she actually was on the boat to be entertainment. So Mm -hmm. this was, was her deal. She left one night to use the bathroom, and she said she saw a lady in a long green velvet robe walking down the hall. And she said she was walking by her because she just looked like she was out of place. She said that the lady made a corner and turned down the hall, and then she'd made the corner turn down the hall. But when she turned, there was no sight of the lady. She was completely gone, just disappeared. So she asked the captain, and uh, he informed her that that was Mary Green. And, you know, now you would think that some people would be scared to be on the boat or, or scared, of the of you know, to work there. But the reality of it is they all say they feel comforted by yeah, the fact that they're seeing her. Say, because every time that they've seen her, it's always been a pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Or you've had the experience of her practically saving the boat. So they feel like that she's constantly watching over this boat to protect it and make sure nothing happens. That's
1: very nice. I wonder why her husband didn't come back and join her.
0: I don't know. Maybe she didn't really like him.
1: Maybe not. I think it's a very cool story. I like it.
0: Anyways, guys, that is episode 56.